This is Southern Arch Heretic, Shifting the Burden, continuing with the proof and discussing the Christological argument. Today we talk about saints and miracles. I'm Kit Rogers, and I have some questions. Welcome back to my Shifting the Burden series, where the proof for the existence of God is placed into a criminal trial setting, and the burden is on the believer to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. The non-believer is presumed correct in our exercise. How does the evidence hold up? Let's explore it. Saints and Miracles While puzzling over how I would address miracles, other than those mentioned in the Gospels, I became overwhelmed thinking about the line of individuals just from my family. The believers could queue up as witnesses to take the stand and testify in order to convince the jury that God healed them from this or that infirmity. I'm sure any number of folks would be willing to testify about how they feel the presence of God in their lives and that He guides their decisions. When a person witnesses to the rest of a Christian congregation regarding their personal experience with God, it's referred to as testifying. We used to visit my dad's side of the family once or twice a year. I always enjoyed going to church services on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. It was so different from the Catholic Mass. The music was exciting, and there was four-part harmony. My grandpa was a charismatic Southern Baptist preacher. It was old-time preaching, complete with huffing. For those that are unfamiliar, maybe you've heard or seen in movies where a preacher might be red-faced and shouting something like, I want to tell you, Jesus is Lord. Only through Him can you find victory. The ha part is the huffing. Unlike Catholic Church, there was nothing to memorize and I got to stay in my seat and chew gum. I never once stood up in the middle of a Sunday service in which my grandpa was preaching in order to cross-examine an individual who was crying and testifying as to their personal relationship with their Lord and Savior in order to challenge their credibility or the reliability of their assertions. First of all, I was a child. Secondly, it would have totally ruined the flow of the service. I'm certain some of you who are reading this may have experienced unexplainable things or have close friends and or relatives that claim extraordinary experiences due to their faith in God. I want to address the personal relationship with Jesus or God, and I will. But first, let's talk about saints and miracles.
I grew up incredibly Catholic. One aspect of Catholic education that I remember being particularly fond of was learning about the lives of the saints. I recall thinking that there were some pretty cool stories. I mean stuff we normally wouldn't hear in church or school if it wasn't about a saint. Since miracles are a prerequisite to sainthood, I thought that maybe we could review some lives of the saints and their alleged miracles to see if it offers any help in proving that Jesus is God or that God exists. I was taught as a child to pray to Saint Anthony if I needed to find something that was lost. When I was around six or seven years old, my great uncle, while on parole for bank robbery, lived at my Mima's house. He had an electric guitar that was baby blue with a white pit guard, and I was in love with it. He showed it to me once, and from that moment, I knew I had to hold it and try to play it. One day, I was at Mima's house and thought about that sweet, sweet guitar. I said a quick prayer to St. Anthony to help me find it, just like I was taught. I walked directly to Mima's closet, opened the sliding door on the right side, pulled back the hanging clothes, reached in, and found the guitar. Freaking miracle! It worked! I was a believer. That's all it took. Well, that and the repetitive conditioning from birth. Aren't we all Pavlov's dog? You should probably know that I found other things in that closet over the years as well. It was one of her hiding places. I'm sure I was already aware of that fact when I offered up that prayer. Again, that prayer was not to Jesus or God, but to St. Anthony. I was the firstborn grandchild, was there nearly every day, knew all of her hiding places. I even hid there sometimes myself when playing hide-and-seek. But it didn't matter. St. Anthony had answered my prayer, and consequently, I've picked up and tried to play nearly every guitar since. I'm sure some of you, especially those who were raised Protestant, will view praying to a saint or to Mary as perhaps the worship of more than one God. I know the standard Catholic line, although not very convincing, is that a saint or the Virgin Mary are just intercessors for God, you know, in case he's busy or whatever. Based on just the way my Sicilian Catholic family viewed saints and the Virgin Mary, further proven by the statues in the yard, I have to say that the multiple deity thing has some merit. There are definitely written Catholic prayers offered to Mary and some individual saints asking them to intercede. At my Catholic confirmation ceremony when I was 12 years old, I chose St. Paul the Apostle as my confirmation saint. So, in homage to my confirmation saint, I will recite a short portion of a prayer to St. Paul the Apostle. O St. Paul the Apostle, preacher of truth and doctor of the Gentiles, intercede for us to God who chose you. You are a vessel of election, O St. Paul the Apostle. That, to me, sounds as if supernatural entities other than God can respond to prayer. Isn't that praying to other gods? Or is it just using an inside source to slip your special request directly to the big man? The equivalent of sliding the doorman a little extra something to make sure you get in. I suppose priests 
play much the same role. You know, I never really thought about it, but if I ask a priest to pray to God through a saint, wouldn't my prayer be double hearsay when it gets to God? I whisper it to a priest who whispers it to a saint who whispers it to God. Didn't we cover this already with the whisper game? Maybe that's why God gets it wrong all the damn time. Maybe since he was my confirmation saint and all, a good place to start in our discussion of saints is St. Paul the Apostle. We've already discussed St. Paul's contributions to the early church and the writings attributed to him. He wasn't one of the original twelve apostles. St. Paul was converted to Christianity when he was knocked off his horse by a blinding light that spoke to him. Before that, he admittedly persecuted Christians, even killed them. As an aside, I've always wondered how the forgiveness of sins by Jesus or God was moral. How can someone unaffected by the sin itself forgive the perpetrator of the sin? It seems awfully presumptuous and morally reprehensible to suggest that a sudden realization that Jesus is God and should be worshipped cancels out all of your past bad deeds. If that is true... Then to quote Bart Simpson, I figure I'll go for a life of sin followed by a presto changeo deathbed repentance. I can't help but think how unfair it is to the actual victims of your sins or crimes. If you sin against me and I don't forgive you, how dare you make yourself feel better just by pointing to the sky and saying Jesus forgives? It doesn't do a damn thing to make me whole. The prisons are filled with individuals who, when they aren't stealing, raping, and murdering, consider themselves to be faithful Christians. God works in their lives, and their Lord and their family is everything to them. Just ask them. Or better yet, just ask their mother. They just keep praying and they know that God will work to set them free from prison sooner than expected. Usually there's no sense of irony from the prisoner, no matter how hideous, malicious, or violent the crime they sometimes admittedly committed. Recidivism is a real thing. So just how much Jesus works in a prisoner's lives when they're not in prison is another story altogether. Another old trial-weathered defense attorney friend of mine tells a story wherein the mother of his client, just prior to trial for first-degree murder, facing overwhelming evidence of her son's guilt, asked him to pray with her to Jesus for justice. My friend calmly informed the nice lady that she may not want to pray to Jesus for justice. What she really wanted to pray for was an acquittal. The Lord truly works in mysterious ways. St. Paul isn't the only saint that was an asshole before conversion. It seems to be a running theme. 
One of the most well-known center-to-saint conversions is that of St. Augustine of Hippo. St. Augustine was raised Catholic by his mother, who was also a saint, St. Monica. I guess like royal lineage, sometimes sainthood is also just exacerbated nepotism. Anyway, St. Augustine abandoned his faith in his teens and took up reading pagan philosophers like Plato. He moved in with a mistress and had a bastard child. St. Augustine's conversion story is like so many others. It involves hearing voices. He heard a child's voice tell him to pick up a scroll and read it after having discussions with a Christian friend of his, and boom! He moved back to his hometown and founded a monastic community. He then became a priest, then a bishop, and then a saint. He was canonized by popular acclaim. St. Augustine can be viewed as an individual that revolutionized preaching. Many of his sermons were transcribed and are available for reading. He also can be thanked for helping to develop the concept of original sin. It appears he even coined the phrase. Original sin, for those who are unaware, is the spiritual imperfection that we're all born with and must seek to overcome. It is the sin that, from what I was taught as a child, sends babies to limbo if they aren't baptized. I've heard tales that the church doesn't recognize limbo anymore, but I don't believe the church or anyone else could convince my now-deceased Meemaw or any other believer raised in the Catholic Church prior to that decision of limbo's sudden disappearance from existence. Even if they could, how cruel has it been to allow women, like my Meemaw, who had miscarriages or stillborn children, or babies that died in childbirth, or babies that died before a priest could sprinkle some water on their head, to believe that those babies were in limbo when now evidently it doesn't really exist. Just like any other proclamation that comes from divine revelation. I guess those who lived and believed the unerring doctrine of the church prior to the most recent epiphany are just fucked. A special note from the church to all Christians who live before we randomly decide some other shit. Sorry, our bad. I guess we must all bear our cross, especially you. So anyway, thanks. St. Augustine of Hippo, you not only designed a reason for self-hate and vicariously a holding cell for all those unbaptized babies, born and I presume unborn, but you may also be the inventor of Catholic guilt. By the way, one of his alleged miracles has something to do with healing an ill man during a siege. I don't think I need to address the credibility of any miracle story. It doesn't seem to be of emphasis since he produced so much for the church. If a human being can be instrumental in the invention and construction of a pre-existing spiritual condition on humanity, original sin, and if that pre-existing spiritual condition can only be cured by a certain type of man, I mean with a penis, 
who mumbles specific sounds while pouring water on the infected individual, and that same pre-existing condition due to quarantine rules requires an actual celestial holding cell for the souls of those who missed out on the sacred water ritual through no fault of their own, then I suppose another human can also raise that celestial holding cell. I mean, we get to keep the original sin because, well... Adam and Eve royally screwed the rest of us by being curious. We just lost limbo. I can just imagine the shock in heaven when Limbo finally closed its doors and released those drooling, babbling sinners to the halfway house just outside the walls of heaven. I mean, do you think those upstanding Christian families that have been reunited behind those pearly gates, a gated community, are interested in taking in all those less fortunate orphaned baby souls? Or will it be the same as before they lived in heavenly mansions on streets of gold? I picture all these baby souls, if admitted, housed in a giant heavenly orphanage. Maybe it's called St. Augustine's Home for Sinful Infants. Even without limbo, one must make sure that certain undesirables aren't socializing with and possibly influencing those who've been forgiven the sins they intentionally committed. I guess these undocumented, you know, no baptism paperwork, immigrant baby souls could foreseeably be reunited with their families. I mean, if their families were able to cross the border, you know, which is far from certain. And we don't need anchor baby souls in heaven. Or better yet, maybe some of these little bundles of sin aren't allowed into heaven at all. Who knows what thought crimes these little limb birds committed while doing time. Everyone knows that if you want to learn how to be a proper sinner, some time in celestial juvenile detention conversing with a shady fetus might just be the thing. Funny, this seems like even more proof that maybe all this, not just the part I make up, is just some shit some folks are making up as they go along, and that this human invention called God and religion has historically been cruel in its wishy-washiness. Another example of sainthood being a family tradition is the canonization of Saint Olga of Kiev and Saint Vladimir the Great, her grandson. St. Olga was the first recorded female ruler of Russia. Her husband was Igor I, the Prince of Kiev. He was murdered by underlings, and so St. Olga took over as ruler since her son, at the time of his father's murder, was too young. St. Olga ordered the men allegedly guilty of her husband's death captured and scalded to death. She then murdered hundreds of others associated with the same tribe as her husband's killers, St. Olga is also known for the execution of almost 5,000 men at a feast held in her honor. She was a ruthless and brutal tyrant, but her sins were forgiven by a higher authority. So all those humans that feel slighted in some way, for instance, those who were tortured and murdered, can stick it. She converted to Christianity and was baptized against the wishes of her pagan son who had become ruler, but never fear. Her grandson would make Christianity the official religion of the nation after gaining power, which I assume was the first and maybe only step 
on his path to sainthood. St. Olga's grandson was St. Vladimir the Great. Their nation was torn by civil conflict with the warring sides each led by one of St. Vladimir's half-brothers. This forced him to flee to Scandinavia. He put together an army and returned to take the throne by murdering one of his half-brothers. He was a brutal and merciless ruler, just like his saintly grandmother. Prior to his conversion, he built a temple to a pagan god and ordered the sacrifice of a father and son for its consecration. He had seven pagan wives, which he traded in for an upgraded Christian single after conversion. Anyway, he seems like the perfect candidate for sainthood. He's the kind of guy that makes me feel like I might have a shot at sainthood, should I ever hear a voice that convinces me to convert back to Christianity in, in order to help me consolidate my kingdom and power. Just kidding, I don't, I don't have a kingdom or, or any power, so... I guess I'm screwed. Besides, I don't think I've been evil enough throughout my life for my conversion to really mean that much. I just haven't been flashy enough with my brutality to garner the envy of the religious. I think the church is more interested in 180-degree pivots toward the proselytization of faith in Jesus as the Son of God than it is incremental differences in actual ethics. I may have lied when I said we would explore the miracles performed by saints in order to determine whether or not they helped prove the existence of God. We didn't really touch on many miracles, but I can say with all honesty that the horrible people that the church points to as examples of faith, or even as role models, provide plenty of reasons to question the veracity of any miracle claims or claims of moral high ground. If God exists, why do the humans that claim to be his emissaries on earth act so fucking badly by almost any civilized standard? Most everyone that claims to be Christian, whether or not you agree with the historical actions of the church, must admit that without the church's influence over, acquiescence to, and acceptance of these ruthless and violent rulers, you probably wouldn't be Christian. There have been many other religious sects that have come and gone. It's not because of the message's truth or any spiritual intervention that Christianity in its many forms survives today. It is by brute force. It wasn't intentional to gloss over the magic, but the more I read about the alleged miracles, the more it seems ridiculous to even address. Just research the lives of saints, and I promise, you'll see many of the same miracles over and over. Stigmata, sacred visions, hearing voices, and healings abound. Sometimes, saints get credit for performing miracles after they're dead, based upon the testimony of others that claim to have had visions of them prior to some other alleged supernatural event like faith healing, etc., Many saints somehow performed miracles that qualified them for sainthood without actually being present, and it didn't matter if they were dead or alive. Mother Teresa, for example, 
was canonized based upon two alleged miracles of healing. She wasn't physically present for either one. One is based on a story from a young girl in India who was diagnosed as needing abdominal surgery. This young lady saw a light emanating from a photo of Mother Teresa while she was praying and had a relic that touched Mother Teresa placed on her abdomen. Afterwards, she didn't require surgery. Bingo. Miracle. The other happened in Brazil. It's basically the same story. A man had abscesses and fluid on his brain. His wife placed a relic associated with Mother Teresa on him and prayed, and he got better. Bingo. Miracle too. There were other instances put forward that were not counted, such as a French woman who claimed that a medallion of Mother Teresa and devoted prayer helped her rib that was broken as a result of a vehicle accident. It was ruled that it didn't heal fast enough to be miraculous. Need I say more about this crap? What miracles? Maybe we can make more headway when we discuss proof of God's existence through personal contact or personal knowing. We'll find out next time. Until then, love ya. Mean it. Thank you.